This is Mark Steele, Communications Director for the Diocese. Most of the diocesan staff is either just arriving home or traveling to other locations following the clergy retreat. So this week for the podcast, we're going to start our process of releasing materials from the retreat. The first release is actually our closing homily from Reverend Canon Ashley Knoll. He's going to speak about Cranmer's uh, view on soteriology. He's going to speak on uh, Philippians 1 and the parable of the prodigal son. Enjoy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we would see Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would hear Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would be moved to love and serve Jesus today. Amen. Therefore, to conclude, Considering the infinite benefits of God, showed and exhibited unto us mercifully without our deserts, who hath not only created us of nothing, but from the peace of vile clay of his infinite goodness hath exalted us, as touching our soul unto his own similitude and likeness. But also, whereas we were condemned to hell and death eternal, hath given his only natural Son, being God eternal, immortal, and equal unto himself in power and glory, to be incarnated, to make our mortal nature his own, with our infirmities of the same, and in the same nature to suffer most shameful and painful death for our offenses to the intent to justify us and restore us to life everlasting, <coughs> and so making us also his dear beloved children. Brethren, unto his only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and inheritors forever with him of his eternal kingdom of heaven. These great and merciful benefits of God if they be well considered, do neither minister unto us occasion to be idle and to live without doing any good works, neither yet stir us up by any means to do evil things. But contrarywise, if we be not desperate persons with hearts harder than stone, they move us to render ourselves unto God holy. And with all our will, hearts, might, and power to serve him in all good deeds, obeying his commandments during our life, to seek in all things his glory and honor, and not our sensual pleasures and vain glory, forevermore dreading willingly to offend such a merciful God and loving Redeemer in word, thought, or deed. And the said benefits of God, deeply considered, do move us for his sake always to be ever ready to give ourselves to our neighbors, and as much as lieth in us, to study with all our endeavor to do good to every man. These be the fruits of the true faith, to do good as much as lieth in us to every man, and above all things, and in all things, to advance the glory of God 
of whom only we have our sanctification, justification, salvation, and redemption. To whom be ever glory, praise, and honor, world without end. Amen. I hope you found these words stirring. They're not mine, although I do spend a lot of time in 16th century texts. I don't normally speak in these and vows. <laughs> this is the concluding paragraph of Cranmer's homily on salvation, to which the Article 11 refers us to understand the nature of salvation. And what has Cranmer explicitly said in this concluding paragraph on salvation? Faith in forgiveness stirs up loving gratitude to God, which inspires us in selfless service. We do not serve to earn God's love. There is no footnote to Philippians 1.6. He will complete the good work he has begun in us because that is his character. The miracle is that his character rubs off on us. <laughs> and assured of his goodness, we give ourselves out in service. But have you noticed that when you follow a crucified Lord, that you are not above the master, and that difficulties, setbacks, frustrations, rejection sometimes because you've done the wrong thing many times because you've done the right thing come with the territory that the power of god unlike what the prosperity gospel preaches is not to protect us from the pain of this world but to embrace it and watch God transform it from the inside out to take Good Friday and make it Easter Sunday. If that is the nature of the Savior we serve, it should not surprise us that is the nature of our ministry too. Women are a mystery to me for a variety of reasons, but particularly for children. I can understand the first child. They don't know what's coming. <laughs> what I don't understand is the second or third or more. But they tell me that the joy of holding that newborn infant in their arms makes all that incredibly real pain. Slip away. One can endure anything if you have hope and if it's a, an expression of love. And therefore, that's exactly what the enemy tries 
to steal from us as clergy? Or may I share with you my least favorite Bible verse? <laughs> yes. That's right. It's John 15, 2. Those who bear fruit, he prunes that they may be more fruitful. Now, that doesn't seem fair to me. If I've been faithful, <laughs> shouldn't the reward be scotch cigars at my feet up, right? <laughs> but that's not what it says, is it? I have no doubt that every person here has their own painful scars in God's service. And I have no doubt when those difficulties arose, you felt split in two. Part of you defending yourself that these are unjust. And part of you hearing that old, nagging, negative voice saying, this is because you weren't faithful enough. This is because you couldn't control the temper way you needed to. This is because you failed to love the unlovely. This is because you're an embarrassment to Christ. And you're getting what you deserve so he can help you grow up. All of those fine words of Cranmer about being motivated by the benefits we have received out of the goodness of God seem to fly out the window in the midst of crisis and pain. And we revert back to be more in touch with how we fail God than how faithful he is to be humble enough to be with us and work with us as broken and flawed human beings. You know, how many people have heard the prodigal son before? <laughs> Once, twice, 50 times? Are there Bibles in the pews? Yes. Please turn to Luke chapter 15 and verse 31. <laughs> so often overlooked in this parable is the whole point. <clears throat> what does the father say to the elder son? My son. blew it. Both sons were focused on the money. One getting it in a disrespectful, dishonorable way and using it for disrespectful, dishonorable means. The other doing it in an honorable way and very clear that he only uses his position of being the son of a rich man in an honorable way. But they're both focused on what? 
The money. What's the prize? The father's presence. No matter what the father gives the younger brother, he can never give back the years that the younger brother spent apart from his presence. And the sad thing is, the older brother had it all along, and he missed it too. As clergy, our temptation is to be the older brother and to slave for God, desperate to get his approval and inheritance, and bitter that we go through difficulties unrewarded like other folks. But what about Paul? What did he say? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul is focusing on God's faithfulness to safeguard his work. And he knows that the best way for the folks he serves to be fruitful is to be have them filled with love because love will not only guide them into what is the right thing to choose, it will enable them to choose it. But what situation is Paul making these incredible claims? Um, he's in prison. <coughs> He's been benched. He's been publicly taken off the mission field. Would you call that a difficult set of circumstances? Yes. Not the same as being kicked out of his church. But people are saying, what about his ministry? Well, if, what the, if the gospel Paul was preaching was really the gospel, why has God locked him up so he can't do it anymore? We're the real ministers of the gospel. God has let us go about. He has removed Paul so that we can be the ones who are leading forth the church in great goodness. Can't you just hear that, right? And Paul's response is, I can't believe these folks are twisting the gospel and using it as an opportunity to bring me dishonor. Don't they know that I'm the one who's been raised up as the new apostle? That's what Paul said, right? That's what we would say, right? And why? Because in the midst of the difficulties, it's so easy to take our eyes off of the loved one. It's so easy to forget that even in the midst of struggles and difficulties and brokenness, we are still beloved. 
it is easy to forget that in God's economy, the struggles that we go through may create such fruitfulness that we cannot see. That what the devil tells us is our failure is actually God's pruning. And like childbirth, pruning isn't fun, but it gives new life and a greater lasting goodness than before? Would we be having this letter and others if Paul isn't locked up and has to write because he can't visit? How many centuries of Christians have been blessed? We don't even know the names of the people Paul is talking about who are so glad he's locked up because they get to beat their chests and be the ones who are publicly for the church. But we still know Paul. Thomas Cranmer's last days were not good. He tells a very strong Spanish uh, king, Catholic king, and half Spanish Catholic queen, the Pope is Antichrist while he's in jail. This is not the way to win friends and influence people. <laughs> this is a man with a backbone. And yet within, within 18 months, he's signing ever-increasing recantations filled with doubt and despair. Not hearing what he wrote about considering the benefits of God, but seeing the difficult circumstances of the healthy boy king suddenly stricken with tuberculosis and then six months gone he was he died so quickly that they weren't even able to get mary under lock and key and their desire to have a protestant successor did not work because the boy died too soon and the doubt creeps in that these difficulties are because i got it wrong and in the end he signs these recantations but what Cranmer did not know and could not see, all of the burnings, including his own, takes a country that has maybe 20% dedicated evangelicals, 20% dedicated Roman Catholics, and the other 60% trying to keep their heads down and stay alive, turning that situation around, creating great sympathy for the evangelical cause because these 300 people thought it was worth dying for. You do not know what in God's hands the suffering that he asks you to go through, how he will transform it and make it something beautiful in his hands. The key is to be like Paul to remember that no matter what you lose in difficulties, even if it's your good name, your reputation in the community, relationships with people you have loved and served for decades, what you don't want to lose and don't need to lose is the sense of his presence with you in the midst. That's the prize. And that's what the nagging negative voice wants to steal from you. The prize of Christ's presence in all things.
that he can satisfy your soul until the day of fruitfulness comes. He can make you like Paul saying, what does it matter if I'm benched? What does it matter if they have false motives? If Christ is proclaimed, then I have joy. You can only say that if Christ's with you, because only then will you really want what he deserves to happen. Walter has been so helpful to encourage you to remember who you are and to serve out of that. Remember, you are not defined by what you do. You're not even defined by what you love. You are defined by whom you are loved. A child that is not loved by a parent grows up unable to love. What you love tells you by whom you were loved. And the father that loves you, he's not the nagging negative inner voice. That's the voice of the stranger that Christ says that we should run from and stay centered on the benefits that God has lavished on us and promised to bring completion. If Cranmer is a symbol of faltering at the end, well, it's not quite the end, is it? He is for us a patron image that in the midst of our failures, God's faithfulness does not let us alone. And he ended well because he knew that the gospel that he preached, that God loves the unworthy, was true for him even when the chief architect of Protestant England had fallen so far as to publicly repudiate it. He was still not beyond God's love and power to be faithful to Philippians 1.6 and bring him with joy and confidence running to the stake to proclaim the good news that God still loved him and was going to receive him with joy. May the voice of our Father, well-beloved child, and the hope that he holds for you be what you hear in difficulties and what God equips you to help others hear until they can hear that from God himself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.